Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ryan Higginbottom, on why studying the Bible is not like searching for a hidden code. God's Word is knowable. It is not secret or hidden. God is not trying to obscure it from us like, like, uh, like codes are written to do. Ryan Higginbottom, next. Mathematics professor Dr. Ryan Higginbottom says some Christians approach the Bible as if it's written in a mysterious language, accessible to only a select few, like those with the intellect and education to unlock the code. He emphatically says this isn't the case. In fact, God wants to be known through his word. Ryan has written the piece, Studying the Bible is Not Code-Breaking. He also serves with a ministry called Knowable Word, which teaches a straightforward Bible study method to help us understand the meaning of the text. Ryan teaches at Washington and Jefferson College. Ryan, tell us about your piece, Studying the Bible Isn't Code-Breaking. What motivated that? I have uh, talked with a lot of people and written a bunch about uh, studying the Bible, and I think for some people uh, in the church, they and, and even side of the church, they view the Bible as uh, kind of unapproachable. It is hard to understand. It is um, difficult. It is maybe best left to people that are professionals, you know, people that have gone through specific training. The, the ministry, Knowable Word, is really uh, devoted to helping ordinary people learn how to study the Bible. I think some people view the Bible as this kind of unknowable code that it's written in these ancient languages. And if you can just get the right key, if you can get the right decoder ring, then you can understand it. And I think that puts up a barrier between people and God's word. And so my my thought in writing that piece was just to try to bring that, bring that wall down a little bit. The God's word is knowable. It is not secret or hidden. God is not trying to obscure it from us like, like, uh, like codes are written to do. Um, so I really wanted to encourage people to know that they can come to the Bible, they can read it, they can understand it, they can study it. So that was the main the main thought behind that article. Well, for those that uh, may find this maybe new to their ears, uh, that some may look at the Bible like it's breaking a code. Can you give an example or two of w- what this approach looks like? Yeah. So I think I think uh, I've I've seen in the past that um, that uh, some people have you know kind of found some interesting number patterns in the Bible, or uh, some people have found they, they get a little bit of Greek or Hebrew knowledge, and they they think that that a particular word showing up in a number of different places is really the key. I think in, hmm. <laughs> in popular literature, you know, the Da Vinci Code is kind of the, the, this runaway bestseller book that, that or gave people the idea that there is, there is a, a code to follow through these ancient texts that will, will give you the real understanding of it. That's just not the way the Bible is. <laughs> and, I, and I think anybody that, that, that comes to the Bible honestly wanting to know the Lord better through, through his word, um, the Bible just is, is wonderful in that it repays whatever level of depth you can bring to it. Um, so even, you know, uh, a kindergartner, um, a middle schooler, all, all the way up to a, a learned PhD in the ancient languages, um, whatever level you can give, the Bible repays, and you can get to know the Lord better through his word. But but the main meanings of the Bible are not obscure. They are, you don't have to be Tom Hanks, uh, you know, cast in a movie to, uh, to run down the, the main meanings, the essential truths of, of our God, because he... 
the main thing is he wants to be known, right? The, the, the Lord wants to be known. We see that through the scriptures. We see that the heavens declare the glory of God. We see that Jesus came to make the Father known. That was one of the main reasons that he came. That's what that's what John 1 tells us in part. And so the idea that you would have to kind of get get a magic key to understand the Bible is just just not how God presents himself. Now, in terms of that, uh, the issue of numbers in the Bible, you're a mathematician, obviously, and so this would be a, an area of interest for you. I mean, obviously, God's intentional about what he puts in the scriptures. If there are numbers in there, they're there for a reason, and they're specific numbers. I, I mean, some might say, well, if, if, since God has intentionally put them there and they must mean something, shouldn't we try to study I mean, among other things that we would study in the scriptures, but study numbers or repetitions of numbers and maybe try to figure out what they mean. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. No. And, and I, I would I would heartily agree with that. I mean, no, we don't we believe that nothing is there by accident. So um, so repetition of numbers is important. The, the specific use of specific numbers in, is important. Part of the reason we can be confident in that assertion is because the Bible was written to a particular people at a particular time. And so we, we know that the, the ancient Israelites, you know, valued certain numbers. They, they had beliefs about certain numbers that were in part informed by the scriptures and in part informed by the culture in which they lived. So, you know, the numbers seven and ten and three, for example, have particular meanings for the uh, for the Hebrew people. Um, but but that's different than what, what some would call like biblical numerology, where you know, you're, you're, you're counting generations and you're looking at, I've even heard of, you know, specific verse numbers as though those were inspired, which, which they are not, um, you know, that, that, that counting specific numbers of English words in, in, in English verse numbers will, will give you some uh, secret understanding. But a lot of that is, is really what you might call Gnostic, you know, this, this, this ancient Greek philosophy of, uh, you get elevated understanding or elevated levels of humanity with secret knowledge. And that's just not, I just don't believe that's the way that the Bible is intended to be read. That's not how God laid it out for his audience, which is which is the people that he wants to know him. Well, we're talking with Dr. Ryan Higginbottom, and he is a mathematics professor at Washington and Jefferson College, but we're talking to him about Bible study, and particularly uh, a piece that he wrote recently, Studying the Bible Isn't Code-Breaking, and he kind of gave us a little bit of a look at that and uh, what that means. And so, what is uh, the main point of Bible study, and, and how would you define that Bible study? It, it, I'm thinking it may mean something different to different people. The way that the way that we talk about it at knowableword.com and and the way that I think about Bible study is perhaps just very simply um, reading the Bible in order to understand it and through it to un to know the Lord better. Um, so uh, so what so when I say studying the Bible, I'm thinking really of uh, a person or a small group of people or a large group of people. Um, you know, reading just the Bible and and trying to understand it, um, and that's that's not to say that other resources are not valuable as well sure. <laughs> because they certainly are. They certainly are. Um, the, the Lord has has graciously given us this historical and modern community of faith. You know that we can draw on. So so we are not we are not lone uh, soldiers in this in this endeavor. But um, but yeah, I I mean 
we're, we're reading the Bible and trying to understand what the, what the authors were trying to communicate to their original audiences, because th those were the people that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to understand. And I, and I think we can't, you know, we, a lot of modern Christians like to ask, rightly so, what does this mean for me? You know, what, what do I learn from this particular passage or this particular book of the Bible? Which is a wonderful, very appropriate question to ask and to answer. But it's not the first one that you should ask or answer. Um, because, as I said, the Bible was written to a particular people at a particular time. So once we understand what the point was to those people at that time, then we can translate that forward into our time and our culture and our situations. You know, Bill, you and I read read a passage of scripture and uh, we can agree on the main point and the application to each of us might be radically different because the Holy Spirit has us in different places in our lives. And the way that I need to perhaps adjust the way that I am a father might uh, might come at me from one passage and that might that same passage might speak to you about patience at work or something completely different and and um so while there's lots of different applications i think we were trying to understand the author's main point of each passage and then take that meaning forward well, you teach uh, with a ministry called Noble Word, as as you said earlier, Ryan, and you teach something referred to as the OIA Bible Study Method, OIA. Uh, if you would, uh, for just a moment, give us an overview, and then perhaps we can return to each of the those letters and uh, look a little more closely at them. Yeah, sure. So um, OIA uh, stands for uh, ob Observe, Interpret, Apply. And this is the way that we at Noble Word refer to this Bible study method. This is nothing that we have come up with. This is actually an ancient, you know, uh, way of understanding Bible study. Uh, some people call it inductive Bible study. Um, frankly, it is, um, we're not very particular about the, the names of it, although the acronym does kind of help us keep things in some sort of order. Mm. But, but really, everyone has some sort of Bible study method and this is ours. And we think that this just kind of reflects the way that, that human communication works. I mean, just to give you a, a very uh, kind of funny example, if you and I are in the same room and we have a relationship and I walk towards you with my fist extended, you know, and I'm, I'm casual with my fist extended, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to observe that. You're going to see what, what, what I'm doing. Because we have a relationship and we are friends, you're going to interpret that not as an act of violence, <laughs> right. but that, but as an act of friendship, you know, I'm coming in for a fist bump with you. Mm -hmm. And then the way that you would apply that is hopefully to hold your fist up and we would, you know, bump fists. Yep. Um, and so this is just really human communication. And uh, we feel like this is the way that God communicates with us through his word. So we're trying to just apply normal methods of reading an email or interacting with a friend or reading any sort of mm. text to the Bible. Well, the O uh, stands for observation, and, and just in terms of Scripture, what are we observing as we read? Yeah, so when we observe the Scripture, um, you know, try, we're trying to observe everything <laughs> um, and, 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 and take in as much as you can. Um, I, I like to think of observing the Scripture as the part of Bible study where you are uh, buying the groceries, or you are, you're gathering the fuel for the fire. So you might not end up using all of your uh, groceries, all of your ingredients to make whatever dish that you are 
going to prepare, but um, you're observing things like uh, repeated words. You know, what if you have a, a chapter or a passage of scripture, what words are repeated? Um, what kind of texts are you dealing with? You know, is this a song? Is this poetry? Is this uh, a teaching? Is this a narrative? Um, what are the titles of the of the people in the passage? You know, how do they refer to each other? Names, titles, uh, the way that people address each other. Um, what's the structure of the passage? You know, that will change based on the on the genre of the of the passage. Um, you know, if it's narrative, where are you seeing the the climax? Where are you seeing the conflict? Where are you seeing the resolution? Um, and you know, things like epistles would have a, a different sort of structure. Um, but again, this is nothing that is that is particular to the Bible necessarily. Anytime that you are reading or taking in anything, I mean, the way that you might even just observe a film or something, um, you're trying to you're trying to pay attention to the little details, especially the ones that the author would be using to communicate meaning. Um, and since we have some distance in time from when these texts were written, uh, we might have to do a little bit more work to pay attention to smaller things. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of, you know, in Jewish poetry, uh, the way that the way that uh, lines are repeated or yeah. reflected. Uh, sometimes that is not necessarily the way that poetry would would be written now. But we, you just pay attention. You just try to pay attention to it as much as you can. This is where um, studying with other people is really helpful because the way that what I observe might not be what you observe, Bill. And and the way that we uh, can kind of pool our observations together can be really valuable in uh, understanding the meaning of a text. And, and you, with each of these, observation, interpretation, and application, you uh, talk about what is the greatest enemy of each of these, and right. what, what is the greatest enemy of observation? Yeah, so I think, just to just to clear one small thing up, I think this is uh, my my great friend and um, and co-laborer here, Peter Kroll, I think wrote this article. But but uh, yeah, so he wrote that the greatest enemy of observation is familiarity. Mm. And uh, when you, you know, it's, those, it's perhaps those passages that we are most familiar with that um, we have the toughest time observing <laughs> accurately because in our memories, we think that we know everything that happened and we, we know all of the details. And um, I actually recently went back to, uh, because my, my pastor is currently preaching through Exodus, when we got to the, um, well, it made, me, it made me read Exodus. And when I got to the uh, crossing of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, there were some details there that I just, you know, how many times have, have I read or heard that mm -hmm. passage? And, uh, and just some things just stood out like, whoa, that, I, that, that is crazy. They, like, for example, they crossed the Red Sea at night. You know, and um, I just didn't remember that. And I don't know how significant it is. But, um, you know, some of the my memories of the Red Sea crossing are cinematic because they have been turned into films. <laughs> and right. It's not it's not good film to to display the Red Sea crossing at night. The lighting is not as good. <laughs> um, so so, you know, it, it's, it's things like that passages where we have maybe the most um, memory of them, you know, mm -hmm. like, say, the, the, the birth narratives of Jesus mm -hmm. uh, or. Or even, you know, some of the things in in early Genesis or in Exodus that are more familiar narrative passages of Scripture, um, we need to pay a special attention to them <laughs> in the details because we often um, 
we often, our memories kind of gloss over what's actually there to what we remember being there, which might not always be accurate. Well, that's the observation um, aspect of, of studying the Bible. Uh, the next, or it's actually the three, the observation, interpretation, and application. The next is interpretation, as you said, one flows really from the other, and obviously I know they're interrelated as well. What uh, is meant then by interpretation? I think you were talking about what uh, what the actual writer meant, uh, but if, you could explain that, of course, and then what are the keys in, in rightly interpreting a passage? Yeah, so, um, you know, if, if we if we believe that the Lord inspired by His Holy Spirit these authors to write the, these books of the Bible, um, then we, we don't believe that that happened in, in, the, in the sense of just kind of... Um, uh, them acting as a puppet for for the Holy Spirit, um, but 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 through the Holy Spirit, they communicated what they what they actually intended to communicate. So they had they had reasons for for writing down what they wrote down. And so uh, the, one of the main engines of Bible study is trying to figure out what what did those people intend. And sometimes the, you know sometimes those are clearer than others. I, I spoke at the beginning about um, the Bible repays just different levels of understanding and different you know repeated uh, uh, visits to the text. Um, but but ultimately we're trying to figure out what did these authors intend for their original audiences to understand through their writings. And so we we gather these observations together and then we ask questions about those observations, which will lead us to the meaning of the of those passages. Sometimes those the meanings of those passages are very easy to see. For example, you know, famously, um, the um, the Apostle John wrote down the reason that he wrote his gospel. Right. He, he wrote that down in chapter 20 of the, of, of the gospel. So we don't have to kind of guess as to why he wrote the book. Um, but but other times it's not as clear. And, and for smaller portions of of scripture, it's not always as clear. So we're just trying to uh, gather these observations, ask questions, why are they there? What was intended by that? Sometimes we can answer those questions and sometimes we can't. And so we just do our best job to to uh, trace out the author's line of thinking through the answers to those interpretive questions and try to arrive at the main point of the passage. Now, Bill, if you and I are studying the same passage of scripture, we might phrase the main point in a, in a different, a slightly different way. So mm -hmm. it, it's not as though there's some magical one, you know, sentence or paragraph or whatever that we want to arrive at. That's the, the way to state an interpretation. But hopefully if you and I are, you know, aligned in the way that we're studying the Bible, uh, our, even with our own personalities, the way that we write down the main point of a passage shouldn't be that different from each other. Um, and, um, and so that, that's, the, that's the goal in that interpretive phase of things is to, from the observations that we make, figure out why are they there? What do they tell us about why the author is writing this portion of it that should connect to what came before, what comes after, but, you know, at, just in the same way that when you and I write a letter, we might have different reasons for different paragraphs in that letter. You know what's going on in this particular one. So, so how would we explain why, at least in some passages, there are so many, or at least numerous interpretations? Is it a is it a factor of helps uh, outside input that that each of us has that might kind of push us in a particular interpretation? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean the the, the way that we approach the scriptures is is informed by more things than we can probably 
enumerate. Yeah. <laughs> right. We we like to, we like to think that we come to the passage uh, with a, as a blank slate, and that we're just you know it's just me and God and the original author, and I'm gonna just you know. But but of course, the church traditions in which we are raised have an effect on us. Um, and even our own, you know, experience of life has an effect on us. So given all of that, um, you know, we do our best. We, we do our best to try to understand what the original authors are saying. And um, we do it imperfectly. You know, uh, the, the fact that there are different interpretations is, is a fact. It's unavoidable. Um, and I think if, if, as long as someone can make their argument from the text, and it's not just something that they are imposing on the text it is worth listening to and and you can perhaps agree with it or disagree with it but your our arguments for why an interpretation is valid or not valid should be coming from the text of scripture not purely from tradition or some other authority other than the bible itself and, and um, as you said this um this idea of the greatest enemy of each of these uh, points in, in Bible study comes from Peter Kroll, who's your, your colleague with Knowable Word, but the greatest enemy of interpretation is observation, which was the what we just talked about. Well, wh- why is that an enemy of uh, interpretation? Because observation is so much easier, Bill. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's also, uh, for a certain, I think for a certain personality, it is um, a lot more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you can kind of get into a groove of observing and observing and observing and observing and you never actually get out of that into okay uh let's start to interpret i mean it, it's it's like the person who loves grocery shopping but they never they never actually use those ingredients to make a meal you know their their pantry is stocked they have all of the spices and all of the ingredients that you could possibly want but they're but they never actually cook anything because they're so they're so taken with all of the these, you know, special ingredients. Um, so eventually, I think I think the, the the hard work of Bible study gets like it increases as you go as you go through this OIA method. Mm. Uh, not that any of them are necessarily, you know, easy, um, but I think observation is easier than interpretation, and interpretation is harder than application. And I should probably just parenthetically here, Ryan, uh, direct people to the Noble Word site, Noble Word blog. I mean, these things we're talking about, people can go there. And, yes, and we, read about we, it. we have we yeah we have lots and lots of resources there. Knowableword.com. Um, you can find lots and lots of uh, resources there. One of the main links on the top of the page will take you to this post, which kind of details all of the you know a bunch of different guides to Bible study. And, and I must say that this sounds a lot like uh, as we listen to a sermon. It sort of sounds like at least the, your average sermon, typical sermon, might kind of go like this. Is that fair to say? Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of um, pastors who preach probably structure their sermons in in similar ways. Um, they might not include as much observation for the congregation, mm-hmm. but uh, but but I would say that most of them kind of go through that phase, hang out in interpretation, and and then you know graduate to to application toward the end of things. Well, I should move into application because our time is going quickly. But uh, so we've talked about observation, we've talked about interpretation as we're uh, as we're reading and and thinking through and asking questions of of a passage of scripture, and then application. What is it, and, and then how do you do that rightly? If you end at interpretation, um, you have you have possibly uh, 
done an academic exercise, <laughs> which which I know and you know I have some experience with. But um, but application is really um, is really uh, where we want to end up because that's how that's how we change. That's how we grow as Christians. That's how we come to know the Lord. You know, as as unbelievers, if they're if they are hearing this, some of the application of the Bible is acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and that He deserves your worship. That he is the king that you are uh, you are beholden to him. So uh, so application is just uh, trying to trace out what does if this is the main point of a passage as I have understood it that my my uh, my good friend Peter Kroll has kind of divided the the areas of application up uh, because he talks about two directions of application which would be inward and outward inward being. Uh, for me, outward being, how can I be a blessing to other people? And then uh, three different spheres of application, which would be head, heart, and hands. And and your listeners may have heard this division before, but I find it really helpful. So head application would be, how do I need to change the way that I think about something? Maybe there's a doctrine or a, a, a fact about God that, that I have wrong. And that this passage is correcting. Heart application would be: um, How does this change my affections? How does this change what I love, what I want to do, what what is most precious to me? Um, and and there's you know there's a there's a lot that we can talk through there. And hands application is I think what most people mean by application, which is what what should I do yeah. in my life differently? But but I would just want to stress that's one one of the possible areas of application. Sometimes we try to squeeze passages into hands application that really have perhaps more inward or outward heart or head application. Is it fair to say, I mean, obviously there's different ways to read the scripture, but do you suggest using uh, this, this approach to any passage? I do. Yes. Yeah. Any passage. This is not, this is not particular to, uh, to any particular kind of, of uh, part of the Bible. And I should, I should also perhaps mentioned that along with the guides to studying the Bible at Knowable Word, uh, we also have a, a great collection of resources on the resources page there. There are some worksheets that I print out and use <laughs> frequently, and I, I use whenever I'm, I'm uh, instructing people on how to study the Bible as well. They are really really helpful, and I think they can help people no matter what part of the Bible they're approaching. One final question about the application, the greatest enemy, and as you say, Peter has written about this, but to application is insight. It can be very um, satisfying to arrive at understanding. We, because we feel removed, because Bible study is sometimes difficult, we feel like there is a, a real accomplishment in understanding what the passage is talking about, and we thank the Lord for that. Um, and then it gets hard to apply <laughs> because, well, of course, you know, Bill, application means that you need to change somehow. Yeah. And so there's a humility that's needed to take that step from interpretation to application because you're acknowledging, well, I have, I have lots of deficiencies and deficiencies that I don't even know about. Um, and so I don't want to just get stuck in this satisfaction, this, this, this good, uh, mm. destination of understanding. But, but now, okay, why, why did the Lord give me that understanding? Um, what is it that that changes about me or how I can bless the people in my life, my neighbors, my, my fellow congregants, my coworkers? Um, chances are there, are there are ways that that can happen. So I think that's the enemy of, of application is insight because 
it's pretty satisfying to get some understanding and that can somehow that can sometimes stall us out in taking the next step. Mm. Well, it, as we wrap up here, Ryan, obviously there's so much more uh, you've directed us to the Noble Word site, but encouragement to begin this journey of uh, of Bible study in this way. Obviously, it's a bit more intentional. Maybe it takes a, a bit more effort than than simply just reading the Bible, which is a good thing too. Absolutely. For people that have not tried to study the Bible on their own before, for people that think that maybe because of your experience or because of you feel like a lack of training or a lack of exposure, uh, that you haven't just sat down with the Bible and tried to understand it before, I just want to tell you that you can do it, that the, the Bible is knowable. Um, God wants to be known. God, God is not trying to hide himself from you. And I would also just say for people to be patient with themselves as they as they start this, that it can take time if you haven't if you haven't read the Bible in this way before, but it will dramatically, dramatically repay your efforts to do that. And and the Lord wants to be known. And so I would encourage those who are starting this journey to ask the Lord for help. You know, ask the Lord for help. And perhaps he might provide that through some people in your life at your church. In, in, within a, another uh, Christian relationship. So, um, but, but God wants to be known, and, and he's provided his Bible as the primary way for us to do that. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Ryan Higginbottom, math professor at Washington and Jefferson College and author of the piece, Studying the Bible is Not Code-Breaking. You can read it by going to knowableword.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Hannah Overton on her amazing story of being exonerated of all charges after serving seven years in prison. People often say that I'm strong and that my family is strong. Um, we are not strong. God is strong. We are weak. And in his hands, he carried us through this, you know, and um, he not only carried us through this, but he used it for his glory. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.